Welcome to Nutrition Grad Guide. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and multi-passionate entrepreneur. I created this podcast to help nutrition grads just like you navigate your way into a career and a life that you love. In each episode, I'm going to bring you interviews with experts in the nutrition and health field, exploring a range of different career pathways. We'll learn about what they do, how they got there, and their advice to help you grow a successful career as a nutritionist or a natural health professional. Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest on the podcast is Hayley Bleeden, who is a fellow nutritionist and dietitian and the founder of the Australian Superfoods Co., which is an incredible business. And I'm so excited to dive into everything that she has created and how she got to where she is today. So thank you so much for joining me, Hayley. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is actually my first nutrition-based podcast, so I'm really excited to go back to my roots. Yeah, this is going to be great. So to get into it, let's talk a little bit about how you got started in the nutrition space. Where did that interest come from? I, I was one of those kids that always knew exactly what I wanted to do. So I remember in year nine, you know, people saying like that was kind of the start of the VCE journey where you had to start thinking about what subjects you wanted to do. Yeah. And I was like, I want to do nutrition and dietetics. I'm going to need math methods and chemistry um, I was a real science nerd, so it just fit in my little mold so well. And I was always really passionate about health and well-being and how you can feel better based on what you eat. And, you know, food consumption, that's something we all do every day. Yeah. Not all day, but every day. And it's, it's so easy to make small tweaks to make yourself feel better about yourself and to have more energy. And it was just kind of just made sense to me instead of going up more that medicinal route, which t- tended to be the popular journey in my family. Yeah, amazing. So where did you go to study um, when you did study to become a dietitian? I studied, so I sat straight out of school. I went and studied nutrition and dietetics at Monash Uni. Amazing. I did. I loved, the moment I was there, I loved it. I had a really solid group of friends and we're really close still today. Um, I loved every subject that we did. Um, I loved all the placements that we did. I loved the clinical placements. I loved the... Um, the rural placements and the more um, public health, the public health side placements. Yeah. But I, whilst doing it, I always knew that I didn't want to travel that traditional dietitian's path, which I suppose is clinical nutrition. You know, all my friends finished and applied for the new grad jobs and yeah. that just wasn't where I wanted to be. So I didn't actually apply for one new grad job. Um, I, which was, was really lucky because it was so competitive and I think I would have struggled in that competitive space where, you know, going for jobs alongside my friends and having to prove why I'm better than them for this position I would have struggled with. And so I went and did, um, my sports nutrition short course. Um, I was lucky enough to have a friend that worked at the North Melbourne football club. And so I went and started working alongside him. Um, as a dietitian at North Melbourne and that's where I first kind of got my feel of what I wanted to do which was more in that product space so I met um, I met the general manager sorry the owner of Shot Sports Nutrition which is which was the the sports nutrition company that was affiliated with North at the time yeah I got a job with him and I also started at that point so I kind of was getting into this product space and I knew that I this was where I wanted to be in the product space and so I went and I, I also didn't feel, though, that I was ready to enter the business world. You know, I'd studied nutrition and dietetics. If anyone that studies nutrition and dietetics and nutrition and dietetics alone will know that they are highly 
skilled in a very specialized area. You don't kind of get any commerce background. You don't, you don't learn about anything other than health, nutrition and dietetics. And yeah. I think the course may have changed quite significantly since when I was there back in, I graduated in 2009. Yeah. Um, but when I was there, you learned only about nutrition and dietetics. And so I went and started an MBA at Deakin Uni. And while I was working at Shots, I also did my MBA specialising in health service management. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't quite peel myself away from the health space. And it was that entire journey. It was North Melbourne, talking to the players at North Melbourne, finding out the foods that they were eating, finding out that some of the Indigenous players would go home and eat turtle and turtle was really high in fat and certain players were more prone to putting on weight and they, kind of, they had to be a little bit careful about how much turtle they were eating if they were going home. Wow. Um, or learning about, you know, different fruits. So hearing about fruits that I'd never heard of before and looking into that from a nutritional perspective and being like, hang on a second, this is not right. How do we not know about these foods? How does a dietitian who says she's a specialist in food and nutrition not know about the foods that are native to Australia and not know about these foods that have some of the most nutritionally powerful, that, that, that are some of the most nutritionally powerful foods. So like Kakadu Club has the highest vitamin, vitamin C content of any food on earth, yet we're importing Camu Camu for its vitamin C content. Yeah. Like it just didn't make sense to me. So and I think that it really pulled on, it pulled on all my, you know, my ethical, my political, every string that I have to say, why don't we know, why as Australians do we not know about these foods yeah. and it just made my passion stronger and stronger and talking to indigenous communities and finding out the struggles that they have gone through mm-hmm. just kind of made it more important to me to link Australian culture to indigenous culture and indigenous food like some of some other cultures like Italian culture where food and culture are so intertwined yeah and that led to the beginning of the Australian Superfood Co so we launched in 2015. The concept, though, I'd been kind of researching and stewing over since about 2012. There was a job in between, which I should talk about as well. Yeah. Um, so in between North and the, Australia, the launch of the Australian Superfood Co, I worked at a company which changed, ha- which changed names. It didn't change hands um, three times. It started off as Abundant Media, then became Noisy Beast, and then the health consultancy. And Abundant Media was most famous for the Million Kilo Challenge, okay. where they challenged. Do I, I don't know if you remember that? That's that they, we are, yeah. Yeah, they had they challenged Australia to lose a million kilos. Yeah, wow. and that was so. So what we were doing was developing meal plans for them, um, which I think is kind of the space that you're in. Is that yeah, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Very similar. We were doing meal plans, um, and then once that challenge ended we started doing um, Weigh It Up. So the Million Kilo Challenge merged into Weigh It Up and Weigh It Up was basically a platform for people to go through for meal plans for recipes. And then that turned into us developing meal plans for um, organisations like Genesis Fitness, Good Life Fitness. Um, And so meal plans was my life. I was constantly developing meal plans, chatting with people, you know, through social media on these journeys. um, And... Yeah, so that was that was that period of my life, which then became, and then I was made redundant from there, which I was devast, I was so devastated because it was such an awesome culture, um, but it gave me the opportunity to stop and really focus on the Australian Superfood Co, which I'd been looking into and researching for uh, three years, and then it was like, hang on, I've got this awesome opportunity. I'm still living at home with my parents. I 
can take a risk and the risk was the Australian Superfood Co and where I am today which is really so lucky and so fantastic because I love what I do every day and I am constantly thinking about how we can better this business. Yeah what a journey that's amazing so inspiring and it's great to see how they all like worked really well together and got you to where you are and inspired that idea and helped you grow that. Really yeah, cool. exactly. And I think that that, you know, so many people when you have journeys and I've seen a lot of memes during COVID and I think that maybe that's because everyone's kind of going through these ebbs and flows, like really positive days, really difficult days, but a journey and we're still on that journey, on that trajectory, you know, up where you're, you're constantly, it's almost like I've got this one vision of a meme in mind where you're climbing over cacti and <laughs> that, that's what it is. It's like this slow journey up and when you, try and you know um reflect on your journey and repeat your journey to somebody it's like positive 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 but there have been so many ups and downs and you know still trying to climb over those cacti yeah for sure i really like that that's such a good way of looking at it (laughs) um so how did you start to learn about all these indigenous fruits and foods native to australia being the science nerd that i am i started on you know on the internet online research papers um it was kind of my first exposure to the nutritional background of these products which is obviously my passion and where I started um the government so five years ago the native food industry was quite different to what it is today today Mm -hmm. I think you say you know kakadu plum wattle seed lemon myrtle and people are really familiar with those products they see products on the shelf and they're not scared about trying them because you know Peter's has a, a wattle seed ice cream um, Weiss have a Davidson Plum ice cream. These ingredients are kind of penetrating the food system. But five years ago, the only place to start was online through research that the government had done because no one else was doing research really. Yeah. Um, there were some fantastic papers that really looked into nutritional profiles and that was what sparked it for me. It was just, I have to, and the goal of the business hasn't changed today, increase awareness, affordability and accessibility of Australian native ingredients. You know, these ingredients aren't on the shelf. You'd talk about ingredients with people, you know, on the streets and you'd be like, have you heard of Kwandong, Australia's native peach? And they'd think you've actually just sworn at them. You'd said a rude <laughs> word by saying Kwandong. Um, and so that is where, where it started. It was like, wow, we just need to change we need to have a discussion with Australians and instead of them repeating to us that Australia's food culture is based around Vegemite and Lamingtons, which is a very important part of Australia's food culture today, (laughs) but Australia's food culture started with the foods that sustained Indigenous Australians for over 70,000 years in some of the harshest climates. And finding out about those foods and finding about and talking to Indigenous Australians and finding out about the the why and how they utilised these foods is the starting point and what's interesting with indigenous culture is their culture is passed down generation to generation orally so it's not written down so unless you have those conversations with indigenous australians and it's something that's now a real sticking point because that is their intellectual property so it's you need to have permission to retell their stories you can't just go have a chat with an elder find out about why they consumed kakadu plum and then repeat that and so you need to be able to, you need to have permission from these elders to tell their stories. So while on the nutritional side, it was quite easy, there was some information available. Yeah. From a cultural sensitivity side, you had to be really careful. Wow. And that's, they're the challenges that still remain today. So nutritionally, we, you know, we receive a batch of kakadu plum that we've just processed. 
and then we'll test it for the nutritional markers that we want to make claims about. From a cultural perspective, we we are more reluctant to share the stories because we can't unless we have permission to do so. And so we then will refer people back to communities to have those conversations directly with, with the Indigenous people. Yeah. It's almost a little bit scary that it's only passed down by word of mouth because what happens when it gets lost and it doesn't continue to get passed down? And it, yeah, it would almost be a good thing if they did document it. And so more people can learn from these stories and be inspired and yeah, learn about that cultural background as well as the nutritional benefits, as you mentioned. Exactly. And that's why it's important for Australians to really appreciate Australia's history and Indigenous Australia's and and Indigenous Australia to welcome them and to encourage them to pass it down as well. Because I think that, you know, over the years, Indigenous Australians have been treated so badly that Mm -hmm. it almost makes them not want to recount these stories and not want to tell these stories. And so, you know, building pride back into the culture by non-Indigenous people wanting to learn about the culture, that's one way that, you know, if you ask, if you have an Indigenous friend and you say, so can you just tell me a bit about your culture? I don't know much about Indigenous culture. And they say, oh, I don't actually really know much about it because I haven't welcomed that conversation. I haven't asked those questions. They might then go and ask those questions. Yeah. So I think that it's kind of a flow on effect and um, depending on how, how you're treated based on your culture. So if you're racially vilified your whole life for being Indigenous, you might not want to go and learn more. And so by the whole of Australia accepting and embracing Indigenous Australia, I hope that that leads to more conversations and perhaps people writing, writing down the stories. Yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful way to look at it. Yeah. And how did you go about sourcing the products once you did learn about them and decided which ones you wanted to stock? Yeah. Did you go out and visit places or was it more like an online process? So that has been the most challenging part and remains the most challenging part of the business is sourcing the produce. So if you think about, you know, an easily accessible product like an orange, you can find oranges throughout Australia. There are huge established farms of oranges. You can find oranges Overseas, so if it's not in season in Australia, you can still source these oranges. Australian native produce is an entirely different situation. So idealistically, I started this business. I wanted to source all my produce from Indigenous Australians to support Indigenous Australians. Very quickly, I learned that that wouldn't be the case, Um, (laughs) that for some produce, I would source exclusively from Indigenous Australians. So most of our kakadu plum is wild harvested by Indigenous Australians. Um, But... For other products like Kwandong or Ribery, there is, I, I've struggled to, and that's, you know, evolving as we speak to more and more Indigenous Australians. But when we launched five years ago, I couldn't find a connection to Indigenous Australia. So I was talking to farmers of native produce and I was asking the question, you know, how did you, because if you weren't, if you weren't Indigenous yourself and you're going to be supplying us, I wanted to know the link. How did you, how did you come about being a Kwandong farmer? It's not like Kwandong are highly sought after or they weren't five years ago. And most of the stories were just, I don't really know. My grandfather um, farmed Kwandog, my father farmed Kwandog, now I farm Kwandog. Yeah, interesting. And that was was what happened a lot. But this season, actually, for Kwandog, if we're talking about Kwandog, we're now working with Indigenous Australians that are wild harvesting Kwandog as well. Oh, cool. So I think as demand increases, popularity increases, awareness increases, more Indigenous people are getting involved and more Indigenous people are also getting involved from the farming perspective. So it's not just wild harvest anymore. It's now Indigenous Australians are farming native Australian produce. 
Yeah. Amazing. But that, that didn't completely answer your question. Sorry. <laughs> so when we started, we started by talking to, we started on Google because I think that's the easiest place to find, find any information. Yeah. Um, and we found farmers. We found non-Indigenous and Indigenous farmers. We found Indigenous communities that were supplying native produce. And that's where we started. So I remember in 2015, which was, it was a very crazy year. It was also the year that I fell pregnant with my first child. So I remember being in Wadair, which is an hour flight out of Darwin. I had shocking morning sickness. I hadn't announced that I was pregnant yet. So I'm in, in Wadair, which is, which is the largest Indigenous community in the Northern Territory. Um, yeah. It's quite a melting pot. So Indigenous Australia, it wasn't like Australia that we regard it today. So you had thousands of different communities that would, that had their own land and ran their land as if it was almost like its own country. So different languages, different different traditions, different cultures. What Air now is a melting pot for a number of those communities. Um, and I went to What Air and was working with, with the Women's Centre in What Air and then started this Kakadu Plum collective pro- collecting project where um, it still exists today. It's a really, it has enormous impact on the community itself. So um for the women to to go out and pick so the women pick kakadu plum wild harvest so they're just going out and picking off trees essentially mm-hmm. um they are then paid for the fruit per kilo so the more they pick the better it is for them yeah. um they but for them to pick their kids have to be at school mm-hmm. so it's got this whole follow-on effect and then on the weekends because they're being picked per kilo there it gives them more encouragement to go out and pick more fruit with the whole family and to, to have that opportunity to pass down the traditions. So mm-hmm. it was, it kind of, for me and what we were trying to do, it ticked every box. It was like family, culture, community, food, all in one. And that's why that community today remains such an important community to us because they are doing all those things. Um, so, so Kakadu Plum was wild harvested, but we very quickly realised that well, we, ha- we firstly had to figure out how we were going to increase awareness of Australian native produce. You know, if I came as a, I, I'm a dietitian, I have no experience in the business world except for studying the MBA um, and no one knows me. So how am I going to start talking about Kakadu Plum and start selling Kakadu Plum in quantities that would actually have an impact? So yeah. the first thing we had to work out was the medium that we were going to be selling Kakadu Plum in. And we decided and... I don't know if it was a good decision or a bad decision, but we decided to to sell snack bars. So the rationale behind that was snack bars were crazy popular at the time, um, even more so than they are now. You'd walk into a health food store and an entire wall would be dedicated to snack bars. Wow. And which, you know, when you stop to think about it, it's like, well, do we really need another snack bar? Probably not. Um, <laughs> but we decided to set to incorporate them into a healthy snack bar that people could every day and that this would be the start of a conversation yeah that people would be looking at that snack bar wall see beautiful packaging with the australian superfood co on it and then pick it up and be like oh desert tribe tropical love tropical that sounds really good oh what's kwandong and kakadu plum that are infused in this bar um that opened the bar they'd try it it was delicious and it had flavors that were unusual but appealing and that was meant to start the conversation yeah and but to get to that point, we had to figure out how to infuse the bars with the kakadu plum because you obviously can't take fresh fruit and infuse it. If we would dehydrate it like, you know, dates, you'd lose a lot of the nutritional profile because 
they're water soluble vitamins exposed to heat vitamin c exposed to heat it's not going to work you're not going to get the same profiles you know post processing so we started freeze drying the product which really led us to where we are today so we had bulk of freeze-dried powders we sold the powders online um it was totally amateurish and probably illegal the way that we did it and you know we didn't have have HACCP certification um our manufacturers had HACCP certification so the bar manufacturers so the bars were fine but the powders themselves you know we had the council food handling certification but it you know wasn't super duper legit um (laughs) It's got to start so, somewhere. <laughs> well, that's it. And I think that so many businesses, I'm sure food businesses would have this story where they're, you know, bottling, they're making kombucha, bottling kombucha in their kitchen. And yeah. if I actually stop and think about it now as a, as a larger company, they'd be like, wow, kombucha is actually quite a high risk product. You know, we're working with live bacteria. Should I have been doing that? I don't know. Um, so we started selling the bars. We went, I remember we went to an expo in Sydney. We had discussions with distributors. People really loved the concept. They loved the idea. They loved the flavour. They tried the bars. We got positive feedback. We picked up distributors in every state in this one weekend, which was our launch weekend. It was really exciting. Um, We ended up signing on with one of the largest health food distributors in the country. It was National Distribution. Their first order was, wait for it, drum roll, a $25,000 order, which was like more than we'd made the entire, we'd just, we'd just launched, but we were like, wow, this is huge. You know, we're going to be getting these orders in every month. We were so excited. And so we sold out of our bar, our first run and yeah. then we ordered more and they never repurchased. Oh, <laughs> the no. bars weren't selling. They, they were selling into stores. So the, the, the distributor was able to communicate the message to the store owners. The store owners loved it. They bought them but then the consumer wasn't buying it off the shelf. Okay. And yeah. at the same, so, I, so at that time we had, we decided to go, we were invited by, um, God, I shouldn't forget this. Um, we were invited by a government organization yeah. that took us to, um, I'm not giving them a plug here, which is quite unfortunate because they helped us so much. We were invited to, to Shanghai to a um, expo called Xiao, which is the largest food expo in China. Wow. It was enormous. Like you can't, you can't imagine how big this, if you've been to expos, you know, at Jeff Shed in Melbourne, you've got, they're big. They take a whole day to walk through. They're really large. This would take five days to walk through every, <laughs> um, every section. And we were at the very front. So you walked in to the first, you had to go through the first section to get to the other sections. You walked in and we were front and center because we were Australia and, we so we were really it was really fortunate but I, I remember waking up while I was there so my daughter was three months my parents had come to China with us to because we brought her as well my husband came my dad my dad is also a partner in the business so he came we were all working and I was going out and breastfeeding and I remember waking up to my husband and this was at the time where we had thousands of bars sitting in Melbourne not selling so yeah. the ticket the shelf life is ticking down I remember waking up to my husband being like Gaz I think I'm having a mental breakdown Oh no! And it was just—it was the most horrible. It was such a horrible experience. And I had a conversation with Dad while we were there. Um, Dad, business partner—that's why it's relevant. And I—and we said, you know, if the, if by October things haven't started changing, we're going to stop the business. We're going to shut it down because it's just too stressful. I was not managing. I had a three-month-old baby and hadn't taken a moment off to look after her. And I just—it just wasn't the life I wanted to live. Yeah. And we got home and we got an order from the UK 
and it was an order for powders and it wasn't a large order. It was probably weren't valued at a hundred dollars or something, but I looked into it. It was a test kitchen for Heston Blumenthal. Oh, wow. And they were about to open dinner by Heston in Melbourne. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, what if we're following the wrong path? What if people aren't interested in our bars because they, maybe they're a bit expensive because, you know, we have low, we had um, low, we were, our order sizes were quite low. And what if it's actually the concept, the powders, the foods that people are interested in and mm-hmm. not the bars? And so we just started looking into that a little bit more and, you know, speaking to a few different companies about concepts that they would be interested in and how they'd want to infuse Australian natives into their products rather than buying our products. And that was the turning point in the business. That was where we really, so we were talking to Dinner by Heston, so that was food service, so restaurants, bars. That was kind of the concept of where that sort of started. Yeah. And then we were start, when we started talking to a few other businesses that reached out, so Remedy Kombucha was one of them. Cool. And Remedy, we decided instead of us telling the market what they needed, we started asking the market what they needed. And we found out that they needed, they loved the concept of Australian native ingredients. Many of the companies and the restaurants had utilised them before, but had stopped using them for for reasons including lack of availability. So they'd add them to their restaurants and they would they'd add them to their menus. They'd think they'd had supply and then a month, a month down the track, they'd be like, oh, sorry, we can't supply it to you. Or the quality changed. So they were buying it from one farmer or this quality and the next farmer was this. And so there was no consistency and they couldn't continue to offer the same product. Like it was lack of consistency of supply and lack of consistency of product. So the quantity of product. Yeah. And through those discussions, we decided, well, if we buy large quantities when the fruits are in season and then process them, we can guarantee availability. So we can hold these large inventory stores throughout the year and make sure that we have sufficient stock throughout the year. But we can also, we can also guarantee the quality. So, you know, if we're talking to a a pharmaceutical manufacturer and that requires certain vitamin C levels in their Kakadu plum powder, we can do the testing, we can, we can process it in the same way and have some, you know, it's a natural product, so there's some variation, but have some sort of consistency and have some sort of control over the quality of the product. Yeah. So that, start, that led us to offering freeze-dried fruit powders, dehydrated fruits, um, powdered um, herbs and seeds, yeah. so like lemon myrtle, like kind of more like that herby range that you'd see like in a master foods range. Um, and then onto the, onto one of our most popular products now, which is our liquid extracts. So for beverage companies, they really struggled with the powders, but if we had it in a liquid form, they could include them. So products like Remedy Kombucha, which was one of their first products, was Cherry Plum, and we supply the plum, which is Kakadu Plum. That is so cool. Wow, I'm so impressed by all of that. And did it, Was there a lot involved in that manufacturing process like figuring out how to get them freeze dries and figure, then figuring out how to get them into that liquid extract how did you go about learning that or was that sort of more outsourced it was it was a combination of the two yeah. um it was outsourced so we worked with contract manufacturers to develop the products but then it was also working with food technologists um working with the scientists themselves so the company that we work with that makes our extracts for us they have a number of scientists that work on their products. So, and then it was, it was doing a lot of testing with the market. So we'd get our first extract range, our first extract samples, 
send them to 10 loyal customers and say, you know, that range from chefs to food and beverage manufacturers to cosmetic manufacturers and say, what do you think? And the feedback we were getting was really interesting. So um, from some, for instance, they, they loved some of the products that um, the cosmetic manufacturers loved the products so they were easy to infuse. They emulsified well with the products where other, where the other manufacturers were like, whoa, that finger line, it's got a really bitter flavour that's hitting my, you know, my back notes and my, on my palate and, you know, vocab that I didn't really understand but took on board. And yeah. having those different experts involved enabled us to continually um, transform the product so that it met their, met more, more of the category's requirements. Yeah. And it's something that we still work on today. So our extracts use, obviously you need a, a natural preservative and, you know, we have certain um, standards that we stick to. So natural is one of them. We don't want to be filling our products with preservatives. And so and that, in the extract world, like, you know, if you can get a vanilla extract, the natural preservative is ethanol. Mm-hmm. But And so our first range of products is, is built on a base of ethanol where then we started talking to manufacturers and they were like, we love the extracts, but we need a market to the halal market. Yeah. And so we couldn't use ethanol. So now we've worked on a range of non-ethanol based extracts. Okay. So it's, it's just that co- continuous um, conversation piece and making sure that we're, we're understanding what the market needs and developing products for the market rather than what we think the market needs. Yeah, so fascinating. And when it came to like the package design and things like that, were you involved in that process or did you get someone to help you? Um, yeah, what was the processing between getting it from a powder or extract to actually having it as a final beautiful product that it is today? Look, when you're a small business, you are involved in every process. Yes. But <laughs> you, you, you look to people that are skilled in specific areas. So I am definitely not a designer. You know, we've spoken about the science brain and everything that we do. And I think a lot of dietitians have that sciencey brain Um, where, so we worked with, we met a late, so we we worked with a a large agency to develop our first website and packaging range. And then basically on day, so that was day one, day two, we met this lovely, lovely designer who works from her home in Albert Park and she is so talented and she just got the brand. She understood that we were trying to make it relevant and contemporary rather than traditional bush tucker. We wanted people to understand that this was foods that we that you can incorporate, in, you can have in your shelves every day, not just in your, you know, touristy shops that you buy a waddle seed cookie. Yeah. Um, and she just got it. And she has, we've worked with her since day two. And she has developed, she's, we're about to relaunch our website. We are about to, she's really taken the brand to where it is today. And the feedback that we get is fantastic. And it's all been her. Yeah. Wow. Well, it all looks beautiful. So that's worked really well. And it's great that she gets the brand and was able to really convey that message through the packaging. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm so, I'm so grateful. You know, there are little tick boxes throughout the journey and she is a huge tick box that I'm just so grateful we met her when we did. And she really like, she feels like she's part of the family. If if she didn't work out of the office and sometimes she works in the office, but if she didn't have her home office, she would, you know, you'd, you'd think she was an employee. Yeah. Um, now I have to ask, and obviously we don't have to go into specifics, but was there a lot of capital involved in something like this or was it starting small and then building up? Um, the business has always required capital to hold inventory. Yeah. So, you know, the initial concept of the bars wasn't too capital intensive, but yeah. as we grow, 
we need to be sourcing the fruit. The fruits are only in season when they're in season. Yeah. And we, our business, two things have impacted the capital requirements. One is the way that the industry has been treated in the past. So in the past, you, when we first entered the business, we were speaking to experts that had been part of the industry for a long time and they were telling us horror stories about communities that would send a tonne of fruit and not ever get paid for it. Oh. And so there was a lot of distrust and uh, rightfully so. And it was something that we decided then, and I don't know if it was our decision or their decision or it was a conversation, but in order to build the trust and also to be fair, like if you consider that Kakadu Plum Waddle said they're being wild harvested in 45 degrees, Indigenous people are going out, picking the fruit outside. Um, it's really, really tough conditions. Yeah. And they, don't, they shouldn't have to wait 30 days to get paid because that's what the industry, you know, the food industry says, or 45 days, 60 days. So we pay for all our fruit before it's sent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, and, and the fruits are only in season at certain periods of the year. So 90% of our produce is purchased in the first six months of the year. Yeah. So that requires a lot of capital to make sure that we have the inventory stores to get us through to the next year. And as the business grows, that becomes more and more challenging. And it might be something that we've, we've never had an investor to date. And it might be something that we need to look into um, moving forward to maintain the growth that we're experiencing. Yeah. Um, but in terms of marketing and, you know, all those things that you think of, big brands launch a product, we didn't do. And I think that that might've been a reason that it's really difficult to be successful if you're not one of those big brands in the food space today, because you you don't have the connections to the to the majors and to Chemist Warehouse. You, um, you don't have the marketing spends. And if you do get into these supermarkets to have those discussions, they say, so what's your marketing spend gonna be? You know, how are we gonna help, you're gonna help us boost this product. Yeah. And you are like, marketing spend like or maybe you know i'll put 500 dollars behind a social media campaign a month like it's it's just not possible and that's why that was another big reason when we were doing our bars and we started having these conversations with large larger brands and they were like well we're going to have someone you know outside spencer street station handing out free products for a week you know to launch the product and i was like amazing like you're going to be able to tell our story um through your marketing budgets which we just don't have yeah <laughs> Yeah, makes sense. Which has been the biggest champion for the industry. You know, you look at you look at master like we this year on MasterChef, and I think that the MasterChef story is really a fantastic one for the native food industry. When MasterChef five years ago, when MasterChef was on, they might have had a guest judge like Ben Shorey or Jocks on Frillo who put lemon myrtle in the mystery box, and they opened the mystery box and they're like, "What the hell's this?" <laughs> this year on MasterChef, um, Australia we supplied the MasterChef pantry, so the Australian Superfood Co products were in the pantry the entire season and we were seeing native produce being used every single episode like in the final dish the Davidson Plum the strawberry gun that was used in the final dish that was the hero of the dish <laughs> I love so that it's, it's really exciting to see how the industry's progressed yeah it's amazing and what brilliant exposure that would have been supplying MasterChef like, that would have been so good it, for the business it really was and it was yeah. it was fantastic for the business and it was also a really good talking point when talking to industry and talking to food and beverage manufacturers to show how far the industry's come that you know these you don't have to be so nervous to use native produce because people understand native produce the education piece is a lot less than it used to be yeah 
Yeah, that's brilliant. And so in running this business, what would you say some of the typical roles are? What would like a typical day, if there is one, look like for you? Um, well, COVID has changed. Look, a lot has changed. I think that as the business has grown, we now have people. I'm not doing as much in every area. So now we have a couple of people working in sales. We have a bookkeeper. We have someone managing social media and marketing. Um, my, my, and we have someone in procurement as well, but that's the procurement side and our procurement manager will probably tell you that she hates it when I do this. I really struggle to give that away. So I want to have those connections to the farmers. I want to have those connections to the Indigenous communities. It's, it's, it's my why. It's why it's the reason I do what I do. So I am involved in a lot of those, in a lot of those conversations, um, We've just launched the Native Harvest Initiative, which is a side business to the Australian Superfood Co., which is focused on addressing the supply side of the business. Um, As we discussed, supply of Australian natives isn't like supply of oranges, and we need to grow that supply in order to meet the demand of the the Australian market, but also internationally. Um, So my day-to-day includes we have a a daily whip. It's a quick catch-up, and this has been introduced since COVID because we're not all sitting in the office together. Um, where we just kind of touch on our three most important, our three action points for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, we, my days will include meetings with, um, with with all of our staff members discussing any challenges that they're facing or, or any wins, which is something that we're really trying to focus on at the moment because people are going through different experiences, be working from home and celebrating the small wins has been really vital. Yeah. Um, it involves, I'm currently a mentor in a Food Futures accelerator program focused on the native food industry. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of different things. We're working on our website, so making sure that everything works um, properly. We, yeah. th- there, are, there are certain gaps in our business that we're finding. So we, at the moment, there are, there are people kind of sitting in managerial roles yeah. that are that are managing big picture items where there's no one kind of sitting managing the the lower items so the the little things that have to be done the admin type things so i'm sometimes doing some of those late at night you know like mm-hmm. updating um the prices on the new website so yeah. it's it's really kind of managing so many different things but at the same time trying to grow the business so trying to not while so much of what I do is kind of deeply embedded in the business, but it's also trying to take the time to step away to look at the business and say, well, how can we grow the business? What can we do to make to take this business to the next level, to um, increase people's awareness, to increase the awareness, affordability and accessibility of Australian native ingredients, to make sure that the communities are benefiting. So we have a partner in Red Dust Role Models, which is a, a fantastic organisation, a not-for-profit organisation, which focuses on the health and wellbeing of Indigenous communities, Indigenous, and it's, it's got three different sections, so Indigenous children, Indigenous men, Indigenous women's health. So making sure that, you know, we're continually supporting them and how can we become more and more involved in, in that program. So... I'd say I'm a jack of all trades. I don't know yeah. if I'm an expert in any, <laughs> but we, we, but our days are packed. And at the same time, trying to be a mum. You know, I'm a mum of two kids, and I've kind of made it my commitment that I'm not gonna. I'm while I'm a working mum, I'm still gonna. You know, when they get home from school or from sorry from kinder or from childcare, there's no one at school yet, but that I'm gonna be there, and I'm gonna. You know, I'm not gonna kind of be that mum that arrives home, which is fine if, if that is, you know, what you want to do. But I really want to be a present mum and to be highly involved in my kids' life And because I know that if I wasn't, I'd turn around when they're at high school and be like, I can't believe I did that and I'd regret that. So, 
yeah. trying trying to be a present mom, a present wife, present daughter, present friend while yeah. working through this business, which is fun. <laughs> it's I, I I'm so grateful. Like life's crazy busy, but I love what I do every single day, and. Yeah. You know, and at the moment with COVID, I get to work. Like my husband's death is like an arm's length away. So I get to work with my husband constantly, which has been fantastic. We get to go for walks during the day together. We, I feel in a time where I think a lot of people feel really disconnected. I feel quite connected to the people that I love most. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. And what would you say you would attribute your success to so far? Um. I'm struggling with the success word because I don't know if I don't know if there's been success. I don't know if it's success or if it's you know just our journey. Um, From the outside, and, it certainly looks like success, and I guess it also comes down to what success does mean to you, and if you feel like you're achieving that in, within your business and what you're in your career and your life. Yeah, you know what it, you know what I am I what I'm really grateful for, and I keep saying we're grateful because I don't think I've ever been more grateful than I am right now in the current situation. Yep. Um, is the support that I have, the constant support that I have from my husband, from our team, from my parents, from my in-laws, my siblings. You know, I we have such a close network that, you know, we're always helping one another. And I think that without that, this my life would be impossible. I wouldn't be able to, like, you know, my brother, yesterday I had a meeting at 3 o'clock, childcare pickups at 3 o'clock, my brother picked up my daughter and um, took her home and I, you know, went and looked after her till 4.30. Um, and that's just kind of the arrangement that we that we have, that we've always had. My husband, um, you know, this morning for this 8 o'clock call, he actually every morning, I'm not going to pretend like it's just this morning, he takes the kids to childcare. And mm-hmm. it's having that kind of, that understanding that, we have a real, my, my husband also runs his own business. So we kind of have this constant juggle where it's understanding that what the other is doing is really important, but at the same time, supporting one another in however we can to make sure that we can achieve what we need to achieve. Yeah, that's beautiful. Support network is so important and I can certainly see how it would help. Yeah, that's great. And so what would your advice be if someone wanted to start up a products-based business similar to what you have, what would your advice to them be? Um, before you launch and before you, you, you fixate on a product, have conversations, have yeah. conversations with experienced people in the industry to find out if there's actually a need for that product. Mm-hmm. Um, have conversations with people that have been on a similar journey to find out what their struggles have been and if you can learn from them so that you don't have to go through the same struggles. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, on one hand, have conversations and listen to everyone else, but then at the same time, tune in and reflect on those conversations and see where it's sitting for you because your idea might be completely revolutionary and everyone might think that they don't need it and then you launch it and it goes gangbusters and you know all of a sudden you're publicly listed so have those conversations but then reflect and see where it sits with you and make sure that you understand your goals and your mission um, and keep tuning into those to make sure that what you're doing is working towards the the bigger goal and, and what and and your bigger mission because I think that Sometimes, you know, you, you start with an idea, you start with a concept, you start with a goal and a mission. And when you start growing, you might start to let some of those ideals go in order to grow. And I think that if you check in every now and again, just to make sure that what you're doing is, is where you started and, and, the, and your, your why, you won't go too off track. 
Yeah, I love that. And how would you say you found your why? And yeah, was there a process that you went through to find that why? Or is it sort of just like it came over time? I think my why came about when I started learning about native produce and the injustices that the Indigenous Australians have suffered. Mm. And my why became turning you know I I can't change the world and I don't pretend like I can but just doing my part in kind of shifting that and making sure that people appreciate Indigenous Australia and and celebrate Indigenous Australia rather than just trying to hide away from our history because prior to white settlement Indigenous Australia was so rich and so bountiful and I think more and more information is coming out about you know the um the about how you know it wasn't how um Oh, what's the word? At, about how sophisticated Indigenous culture was, mm. um, that it wasn't, you know, I think that often Australians will just think that Indigenous foods, Indigenous um, harvesting of food was simply um, hunter, hunter and gatherer lifestyle. And it wasn't that. And I think more and more research is coming out about how it was super, it was highly sophisticated and they had aquaponic systems and, you know, it was... And I think that if that's one example of how sophisticated Indigenous culture was, there are a plethora of examples that will just show you in, in its entirety how sophisticated Indigenous culture was yeah. and how rich the culture and heritage is and was and how, how much there is to learn and to, to be celebrated. Yeah, absolutely. So, so important. Brilliant. Um, so one more question, a quick one about marketing. What is the method that you do use to get your product in front of more people? Do you find social media is really beneficial in that? Um, tell us a little bit about how you market it. So we have quite a strong social media media following. We have 20-something thousand followers. We, have, we also outsource that at the moment, but we work really, really closely. So we basically provide the content and then she manages the, the content. Yeah. Um, there are two reasons for that. I think that one is because... They want to see my face on <laughs> on our social media more. And if I was managing it, I would not be putting myself out there. And if you go to my social media, which is HB Nutrition, you will notice that I have very few followers and and um, post very rarely. Um, so I so we, yes, but but we work very closely with for the content, you know, to make sure that our messaging is continually um, being passed on. Yeah. Um, and then we have our sales team, and it's it's all about the conversations, about getting in front of the right people, talking to the right MPD teams, um, and and making sure that they understand the brand, they understand why they why they would want to include Australian native ingredients, and that, that why changes for every single business. You know, if you're talking to a nutraceutical company, it'll all be about the, the nutritional information. If you're talking to a chocolate company like Coco Black just launched a beautiful campaign around their um, new native chocolate range and it's all about the culture it's about the story it's about the why and it's also about obviously the flavor because they're a chocolate company and they need their products to be absolutely delicious which they are um but it's about you know take it's about celebrating australian culture and yeah. so it's you know having those conversations and, and getting getting people to understand why they would want to incorporate australian natives and then getting them to to push it out in in their own way yeah Amazing. Well, this has been brilliant. Are there any parting words of advice you have for fellow nutritionists and dietitians who do want to build a successful career? Um, well, besides for finding your why, which we discussed, I think it's also making sure that you find time for you. And I think that, you know, the nutrition industry is dominated by females. I, in my course, I don't know if it's changed, but in my course, there were two males in, in the course in its entirety. Um, and women 
you know, are often bogged, not bogged down because they're beautiful things, but we are very time poor being mothers, being um, business owners, and we often don't put ourselves first. And I think that making sure that you, you know, have your morning rituals, like we have started having every morning, we have our um, green smoothies that we put our vitamin C, the Australian Superfood Code vitamin C booster in, um, making sure that you pencil out times in your diary for exercise. So that might be, and this is a bit, this is probably, I shouldn't be saying this as a podcast, but yesterday in my diary on a Tuesday, my husband and I go for a run together since COVID started and I had a 12.30 meeting. And so I, 12 o'clock we left, 12.30 I was home and I did the meeting with the camera off because I was all a hot, sweaty mess. Um, but it was really important getting out and having that half an hour run is as important as anything because I just know that the afternoon I won't be able to function if I haven't done that. And the rest of the afternoon was a hot, sweaty mess, but that's fine because I made time for me and yeah. I think it's really important. Definitely. I completely agree with that. Awesome. And where can the listeners follow along with your journey personally and also with your business's journey? So go check out um, ossuperfoods.com.au. That's A-U-S-T superfoods.com.au. That's also our handle for social media at ossuperfoods. Um, I regularly post on LinkedIn about my views in the industry and um, things that are changing. So you can go and follow me on LinkedIn um, or connect with me on LinkedIn, <laughs> which is actually how we met. Yeah. Um, um, and I will very rarely post on Instagram, but if I do, you can find it at HV Nutrition. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Hayley. This has been so insightful and so inspiring. And I love what you're doing in the industry and for the native food industry as well. So well done and keep up the amazing work. And thank you for sharing all of your amazing advice and experience today. Thank you for the chat. It's been a real joy. It's my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I feel like I gained so much valuable insight and advice from it. And I hope you agree. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave me a review and tell me what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. Do you know anyone else that this episode can benefit? I would be so grateful if you share it with them. That way, they too can benefit from all of the insight that we covered today. Your support means so much to me, and together we can help even more people build a career and a life that they love. Thank you for being here. Until next time, keep making your dreams a reality. Mm-hmm.